This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. Joined on this journey, as I always am, by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barclay. Uh, we are taking you down this road of Old Trafford history, which has got a very, very bumpy stop in this episode, to say the least, the 1973-1974 season. If you are watching the video, please give us a like and a subscribe to the channel as well, and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Paddy, as we um, take stock of Manchester United's 72-73 season, there was a feeling, um, the general feeling was that United had got away with one rather than that it was going to get worse, rather that was as bad. And, and people, <laughs> modern listeners might be familiar with this phrase, yeah. that was as bad as it was going to get. They could now yeah. turn the tide around. Yes, yes. I, I, yes, I think that was uh, that was that was the general feeling. Um, the last vestiges of the, the heroes of 1968 of that team, last vestiges of that team were sort of almost on the point of being sort of swept out. Um, and uh, yes, there was a feeling that Manchester United was looking forward uh, rather than back. Um, well, well, we'll see about that. But uh, I think despite the results, there was a different feeling at Old Trafford from the minute that Tommy Dock had come through the door, really. Yeah. Certainly at the start of the season, this idea of a new f- future, um, obviously the feeling was um, exemplified by the departures of Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton, um, mm-hmm. it sort of took a step backwards when George Best returned to the club. Um, George Best, as we um, discussed in the previous episode, had been missing since December. Yeah. By all accounts, even to George Best standards, he just decided, I'm just going to live life away from football now. So he was in no condition ready to return. In fact, the moment that sparked his return was when he was found in a hospital room by... Matt Busby, um, possibly the last prominent and um, visual repercussion of a Busby interference here in terms of how it um, impacted the football pitch. But it was Busby who who decided to pull George and he said, what are you doing here? Don't you think you want to give it another go? George was actually suffering from thrombosis, which had um, deep vein problems that he yeah. suffered on a fly and it got worse while he'd been out in, in Spain. So he'd come back to Manchester, which is where Busby had gone to see him. Yeah. Um, he, he had obviously been indulging in a lifestyle not conducive to professional yeah. football. Um, Paddy, obviously, this was reflective of Busby's really close relationship with George. And it, mm. the, mater- the paternal instinct was definitely kicking in there rather yeah. than being a, a genuine case of George is going to come back and while the crowd, it was putting an arm around him and saying, please pull yourself together kind of thing, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, bear in mind that George was young enough to have been turned around career-wise at this stage. Yeah. I mean, 
How old would he have been at this? 25, 26? 26, yeah. It's, it's incredible, probably not much more than that. Um, and, um, and, and his talent was so exceptional that, 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 that Busby was willing to go not just the extra mile, but basically a, a, all the way to the moon and back, really. Um, so it was, it was a backward step. Um, but such was the sort of indulgence, love, call it what you will, that, that Matt extended towards George, um, that the general sort of move away from the, from the 68 team was, was, was allowed to be put in reverse, um, for that. Um, the, as you rightly said, look, the other two members of the, of the great trio, um, Bobby Charlton and, and Dennis Law had already gone law to Manchester city and, uh, and Bobby Charlton to become manager of Preston, where, oh, incidentally, another of the Wembley heroes of 68, David Sadler, um, in November of this season, 73-4, uh, David Sadler, Joe was, was, who'd been completely bombed out by the Doherty regime, uh, joined with great relief Bobby Charlton at Preston North End in November. Uh, and that meant that the only ones who remained of the Wembley heroes were goalkeeper Alex Stepney, Brian Kidd, and uh, and George remained. And uh, at, at the end of this season, we're talking about 73-4, it was just Stepney. But anyway, we'll let you tell the story, Wayne. Kidd um, had put in transfer requests prior to this because he'd become disgruntled. First of all, I think with O'Farrell bringing in Wynne Davies and Ted McDougall, who incidentally were both now gone. Doherty had seen short shrift with those and they were gone obviously within months of being signed. Um, yeah. Brian Kidd, given this responsibility of goal scoring alongside Lou McCarry, who had struggled early on to, to meet those goals, they were in front of um, the creativity of Sammy McElroy and Willie Morgan and opponents were finding it easier to mark Willie Morgan because Sammy McElroy was still struggling with the yep. effects of his um, car crash. He, obviously, I've worked with him um, extensively in, in recent times and Sammy talked in detail about how you know he was still suffering heavily with that. He didn't think he could run. And it was sort of like a trial by execution. The fans were getting on his back, but he, he knew that he was in no condition to chase balls. You know, there'd be a ball that was bouncing 20 yards away and his fittest he could go for it a bit in the state that he was in, there was no chance that he could. So he knew that he was holding back. Um, and some could say that about George Best, but I think at the same time, a lot of the younger lads who were there, because like you've said, there was a, a younger core of players coming in, a lot of them not good enough, but they were obviously idolising George. So when George came back, it's the same. Um, if anyone ever speaks to Lou McCoffrey about playing with George Best, his memories are always nostalgic and good because mm -hmm. he loved the idea of playing with him but this version of George Best was not um, anywhere near. Anyway, George comes back um, sort of hoisted upon rather, and it was to some extent presented as a, a Doherty master class yeah. in, in pulling him out of um, out of retirement but it, obviously it was clear that there was a lot of problems there. Um, United had no attacking presence in the early weeks of the season. Kid is lost, Morgan's isolated um, Kid actually does well to score two goals early season in a win over West Ham, but that's pretty much the highlight of those early weeks because yeah. by mid-October, United have lost seven of their 12 league games. They failed to score in five of them. George, um, having returned for training, is sort of rushed back into... Uh, I mean, what state was this, Paddy? Is it half fitness? I don't even know if you would say that. It was. He'd been in training for four or five weeks, um, he'd lost some of the timber that he had on. Yes. He was still heavy set when United played against Birmingham yes. and he was a lot easier to mark for the Birmingham players. Yes. United yes. did triumph in this game and the sort of the buzz around George being back. But um, just before we talk about the Birmingham game and the sort of quirk around that, tell us a little bit about the condition that this, the George Best that returned for basically these 12 games. What yeah. watch? Well, I think George was um, under the impression 
whether justifiably or not, after the after the consultation with Matt. Um, <laughs> I almost use a medical term advisedly there, but after the the agreement that he could he could come back, I think George was under the impression that, and, and although we, to an extent you're right about him lose, getting a little, looking a bit more like a footballer, uh, is true. Um, I think George was under the impression that his real obligation was to turn up basically in time for a, a Friday session and, and play on a Saturday. Um, whereas, you know, most footballers look upon it as a six-day-a-week job, you know. And um, I think George was under the impression that a special sort of re regimen had been created for him. Uh, Doherty couldn't put up with that because, after all, as you will know more than anyone, that, that that's how Doherty had got rid of Dennis, you know. Yeah, out there, yeah. Um, because he was unable to train. So, uh, yes, he, George was not, not in a good condition. George was in the condition of a man eight or nine years older than he actually was by, by then. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, he did, he was still George Beth. He retained his ability, but he wasn't, we talked a few episodes ago about the young George Best and how he was able to escape, how he was able to hurdle challenges by almost defying um, gravity and thereby not sustain so, so many injuries. Um, he was no longer able to do that by now. So the tackles would have been hurting a lot more than they had done before. Um, and uh, it, so, so, so this was this was not this was not the man who had tortured Benfica twice. You know, this this was not this was not the man who'd bestrode Europe and become a almost almost a world superstar. It, mm. it was not the same man at all. It was a man sort of um, scraping the dregs, beginning to scrape the dregs out of his career. Yeah, top scorer at this point in the season, alongside Brian yeah. Kisler. Yeah. Alex Stepney. Um, Stepney had scored a penalty against Leicester City, and um, and then against Birmingham City, Stepney um, scored a penalty. It was the only goal of the game, so United win the game against fellow strugglers at the bottom there, Birmingham. George does score two goals, so he's joint top scorer at Christmas. Two actually decent goals, but if you watch them back again, the goals against Coventry, against Spurs, they're ones where... He's afforded a little bit of space and uh -huh. the magic is in his feet, but it's almost like they've given him the space because he's got the reputation of being George Best, where you can tell yeah. the physical condition if they'd have treated him with the respect of being the old George Best um, and they, they tried to fly in on him, they would possibly have got there. Um, yeah. Both of those goals come in defeats, which is symbolic of um, his, yeah. his tenure with United. The temporary high of United winning against Birmingham is tempered by another dismal run. They go on a, a run of no win and five defeats in five in nine games. George is trying. He is missing training. And this is, you mentioned about it being a complication of Busby bringing him back and Dockett not quite being prepared for it. But yeah. For that Dennis Law reason in particular, Tommy's getting aggravated by the fact that George is missing training and he's still picking him to play, he's still picking him to play. And George, when he's there, he's trying his best. He has, yeah. he's met them halfway. He's trying to lose a bit of weight, but the, like we've already mentioned, we've gone over that. He's in no real strong condition. United are getting to December. They're in a, a real relegation scrap at the bottom of the table. So it's clear that that hope that they were going to bounce back from the disappointment of last season. This is the reality for this Manchester United team, unfortunately. Not only is the motivation gone, a lot of these players are just not good enough and they need to start addressing that reality very quickly. Mm. Now, do United have any good spots at all in the first part of the season? We mentioned the West, uh, game against West Ham, the quirky win against Birmingham because Stepney scores the penalty. Yeah. There is some spirit in some of these kids, which is... Um, at least something that's enticing the crowd. Brian Greenoff, who's a youngster, has been brought in by Tommy Docker, who Tommy had previously wanted to sign when he was manager at Rotherham. He gives yeah. him his first team bow, um, and he comes in and he plays. It's funny because Greenoff, 
will go on to make his name as a, an established class A international centre off. But yeah, this early time, not that anyone was ever calling him the next Bobby Charlton, but that was the position that he, he sort of walked into. He was like Charlton's vacation in the side was where Greenough came into in defensive midfield. So Greenough and Tony Young score goals um, to rescue a 2-2 draw against Chelsea early in the season. It's like, oh, there's a little bit of optimism around these kids. But where you've got a Greenough who is good enough, you've got a Tony Young who sadly is not. It gets to the point where United, um, they play a game on New Year's Day against QPR. United lose 3-0. George Best is kicked all over the place and he goes on a disappearing act to his nightclub in, which is called Slack Alice in Manchester. Um, he's featured on front of the newspapers. Why that is important is because a deal has actually been done, which was a story that had never been told to, um, well, as far as I was aware, it had never been told before. But I told you this story when I was writing True Genius. I, I think yeah. I told to tell you about it. Um, a story that had never been told before. Um, because obviously what's about to lead in from this story is that Docky, there's a famous story about what happened when United were drawn against Plymouth at home in the FA Cup. And this, these are the series of events that leads to George's permanent exit from United. Yeah. What wasn't previously known was that a deal had been done to sell George to QPR. They had a, a Wheeler dealer chairman, Jim Gregory. Yes. Um, they had a conscientious manager, Gordon Jago. Gordon didn't really feel comfortable spending um, a lot of money. He didn't like taking gambles. He'd taken a gamble with Rodney Marsh. You know, he, they'd not paid any money for him, but he had to accommodate him in the side. That had somewhat backfired when Marsh's um, ego had got sort of too big for his boots and he sort of forced a move to Manchester City, destabilising this great QPR side that Jago was building. When the money came in from that, it was like something like £100,000 for Gordon Jago. Jim Gregory said that Jago could reinvest it and he confessed to me that he had sleepless nights over doing so, reinvesting the money to, to strengthen his side. So a little further down the line comes this opportunity to sign George Best. Jim Gregory's made a comment about, well, we'd love to sign him because he'll put an extra 10,000 on the gate as it has done today for this game, this visit of George Best, even though it's not the same George Best. Doherty realising that that's where some vital funds could come in and knowing that he, he can't tolerate George Best any longer, agrees to the sale. Yeah. So the deal is agreed. And then when the newspapers um, show pictures of George Best stumbling out of the nightclub, Gordon Jago calls Jim Gregory and says, I can't, yeah. my, my conscience, I can't sa uh, sanction this deal. I don't want to sign him. It'll destabilise what we've got. So this is the background between what happens against Q uh, against Plymouth because the story is that, well, the story told by Docky was always that George turned up drunk with a woman 20 minutes before kickoff, and that's why he wasn't allowed to play. All of the players have always said that George turned up. He was there for the pre-match meal. No girl, no drink. And George, obviously, when he told that story himself, he that's the version that he um, saw with. The, the legend goes, because you there's the element of doubt in there because George was so unpredictable. That was the element that Docky was um, sort of playing on because people yes. wouldn't know either way. The output of this is effectively that George is told that he's not playing in the game. So George says, if I'm not going to play against Plymouth, if I'm, if I'm not good enough to play against Plymouth, then I'm not good enough to play against anyone. I'm going to leave for good. Um, and then the story is that he, he goes and never came back. And that was a story that George told. And obviously that's more poetic. It lends itself to storytelling. Yeah. that He just disappeared and never came back. There were reports that week in the newspapers that he did report back for training and Tommy Kavanagh had been instructed basically to take him away from the first team uh -huh. so he wasn't disrupting them. And then obviously a couple of days after that, George realised I've got no future here and then and then he went. Um, obviously, this time it was kind of clear that it was going to be a final exit. Talk me through, we talked about the reality of Colin's exit and it was sad but inevitable we talked about the shock of Dennis Law's exit this was very I think people have more or less accepted that George was gone and they were more surprised that he'd come back really for 12 games weren't they? and, and yes. they knew that he was gone at this point yes you're, you're right you're you're absolutely right you see if if Manchester United's support had uh, been confronted with the loss of the George best of old 
the George Best of his early 20s, early, yeah, early 20s, I would say, um, uh, the, 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 the best player in the Ballon d'Or winner. If they'd been confronted with the loss of that George Best, there would have been, I mean, there would have been people throwing themselves off the cantilever stand. I mean, it, it, it would have caused shock and dismay and sadness, grief. But that wasn't what they were losing. They were losing a clearly diminished, unfit, um, troubled uh, figure who, how many goals in the season? Two. Right, okay. That's, oh, half a season, admittedly. But, you know, that adds up to four in a, in a whole season. And that, you know, George, George Best, you know, would score 24 or 34 in a season, you know, uh, if it's beat. Um, so <clears throat> they weren't, they just weren't losing the, the George Best of all. So the, there was a, there was a complete acceptance. I don't, <coughs> excuse me, I don't remember any, any sort of regret other than a sadness that a career looked to be petering out five years too soon. Yeah, George was gone. Um, and I know we've dwelled a lot upon George Best, but um, I think it was worth it. We're talking about really one of the premier talents and it's a cigarette card, isn't it, between where you establishing United's top three players of all time. I, I would probably have him as number one because of his talent. In those most of those 474 games that he played for United, he was... We could say maybe four hundred hours. He was in, 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 in terms of basic talent. <clears throat> I would. I never saw Duncan Edwards, but I would say he was probably the most talented football. Never mind Manchester United. Never mind England, uh, United Kingdom. I would say he was probably the most talented player I ever saw in the flesh maybe slightly more talented than the best player that I ever saw, who was Diego Maradona. Yeah. But and Diego Maradona was a better player than George because he was more of a team player. If you look at, you know, what he did for ordinary Argentine teams, he actually compares well with Messi in that sense as a leader. <clears throat> George was not a leader. Um, and, uh, but in terms of, of basic talent there's nobody that i've seen and i'm nearly 75 there's nobody i've seen in my lifetime uh in the flesh who 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 george best would would compare unfavorably with anywhere in the world now whether that makes him manchester united's greatest ever player uh is you've got to factor in a couple of of points here one Duncan Edwards will loom large over, over any discussion of United's greatest ever player. And people, you know, who saw him, including Wolf McGuinness, who played alongside him, um, said he was the, the greatest. Bobby Charlton, I think we've mentioned this in the series before, said he was the only player that made him, Bobby, yeah. feel inferior. And uh, again, that's quite a statement since... You know, Bobby Charlton would be meant, would be in any envelope for greatest Manchester United players. So uh, it's a matter of taste, I suppose. The most entertaining player I thought was George, um, the one who put ten thousand. Did Dennis? Dennis and and Bobby were much better team players. Yeah, I mean, especially Dennis, um, but. Oh, I don't know. As you say, it's a it's a cigarette paper among the the lot of them and Duncan Duncan Edwards. Would there be anybody else in in, in Ronaldo? Defense? Ronaldo. Modern oh players. yes, R Ronaldo. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, Ronaldo was the opposite of George in in that he applied himself to the you know beyond a hundred percent. If that yeah. if that doesn't sound too uh, silly a piece of football ease. Um, you know, if George was, you know, under it, underachieved, 
for his talent. You know, it's difficult to see what more Cristiano Ronaldo could have done. But was did he have as much natural ability as George? I would say possibly slightly less, though he made much more of himself. Uh, and that therefore, yes, you would have to put him in. So that's five uh, of the greatest players. I don't think Rooney is quite... Uh, Rooney would be in the next grade down in my yeah. opinion. Well, you, uh, would put, you would put Best and Cantona in a, a, a category where they yeah. made the impossible possible. I would, I would, I would put Cantona in a complete class of his own uh, uh, um, because... What he did was all to, 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 to use the word that Gary, Gary Neville used in, uh, in when the 1999 team came back to win in uh, Barcelona. Cantona was supernatural or seemed to be supernatural in the alchemy that he could yeah. complete, you know, the, the effect he had on the team. Um, uh, was, he, was he up there with Lord Best Charlton? and Ronaldo and Edwards in terms of ability, I would say no. But was he up in terms with them in effect? I would say he probably had more effect on yeah. the history of Manchester United than anyone except Edwards. It's, it's a really compelling argument. Um, but in terms of yeah, natural ability, sorcery, that certainly at this point George stood alone. You've never seen anything like the things that we've we talked through many of them scoring from corner kicks, um, running through space that wasn't there against Benfica and, and stuff like that. Um, yes, this, this wasn't that version of George, and George was gone. Um, and United struggled towards the end of the season in George's absence. A, a player, Jim McCalliog, was signed. Um, yes, United pretty much. From, there was a home defeat against Leeds, uh, which um, got a, a really good attendance, 60,000 supporters. Um, but United were, at that point, once they'd lost that game, sort of really feeling like they were doomed to relegation. Well, that, would have been, that would have been because Leeds, Leeds was, a, 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 to an extent, always, always will be a, a local a, a derby yeah. for United. Yeah. It'll have a, it has an, like Liverpool, it has that you know, teeth on edge quality, hasn't it? Is that why yeah. there was such a huge crowd for that? Well, yeah, they, they were, I mean, I'm looking through the, the attendances either side of it were 40,000 and then they, they did register a low of 33,000 a few weeks later against Burnley uh, for a 3-3 draw. Um, but the crowds hadn't really turned their back on. We'd seen drops and certainly overall, I think there's a 5,000 on average drop this season, yeah. but... They haven't left in their masses, um, which which tells you a lot. For a, for a team that's that's you know not finding the net, it's not bad that yeah. as a fall, is it? It's not bad. Just, certainly, we're team. not finding the net. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they weren't. Um, and there was a game at Birmingham where they played. In these days, they were called relegation four pointers. Um, yes. In, yes. in the middle of March, Birmingham were playing uh, obviously at St Andrews. United felt that they'd cleared their lines. They hit a clearance. It hit a Birmingham player and flew straight into the back of United's net. When your luck is not in, and if yeah. you are listening to that and thinking that is a freak occurrence that could never happen in a million years, first of all, yes, it did. Second of all. The exact same sequence happened in 1992 when United played at West Ham and Gary Pallister tried to clear it and it hit the West oh, Ham and blew back in and cost us the title. Um, yeah, so United have suffered that exact goal twice in their history. So they were doomed to almost certain relegation from this point. It was unthinkable. Wanting to take a little bit of pressure from the young players, Doherty signs Jim McCallyog who um, is an experienced Wolves forward, a little bit in style um, similar to Jerry Daly, who's been playing um, in this season in the, the language forwards. They can move into good spaces. Um, he's definitely not prolific by any stretch of the imagination, um, McCallioge or Daly for that matter, but the experience of McCallioge lifts a lot of pressure from these youngsters. Um, United were still trying to play decent football. Ducky had them trying to pass and move. Yes. Yeah. Try and do that. And then Paddy for a bizarre two-week period, 
United played well and won four games from five, a couple of them against... Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Relegation strugglers um, winning down at Norwich in, mm. in particular, inspired by the introduction of McCallyog. Um, yeah. Did it seem as if the improbable was on that United might be able to get out of it? Yeah, there was a spark of hope uh, during that period. I, I, from my recollection, there was always under Doherty uh, a feeling that 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 they were trying to play the right way, you know that they were trying to that they were trying to entertain that they were trying there was they were trying to achieve a bit of enjoyment and my my recollection again um, is that you mentioned Jerry Daly quite rightly you 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 mentioned McCallion I think Daly's a very underrated player. Yeah, I loved watching Jerry Day. Um, he could pass a football. He could play. He could, uh, and, and he could run a bit. I, it, he was a very lean. Uh, I was going to say understated. Possibly a little bit understated, but my word, I, I think he could play. And I think when people like him and McCallyog were on the ball, you could see. A bit of the, uh, a bit of the football coming back, despite the fact. I mean, results weren't reflecting it, apart from in the period you're talking about when they did. Was it three wins? Actually, three yeah, four? four and five. Yeah, four and five. Right. So it was a that was a decent spell. Uh, that's the kind of thing that you know, fightbacks against relegation are built on. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't a completely barren season. And I think that's probably why the, uh, the, the gap, the, the fall in attendance was uh, 10%, maybe something like that, rather than, uh, rather than more. Yeah. Um, United, after this mini run, they, they, it concludes with a 3-0 win over Everton. They go to Southampton. They take the lead. Southampton strugglers as well. They take the lead to a penalty. And then Southampton come back with the, uh, I think they, their goals slightly fortuitous, but they um, they get a draw and United start to feel the players are a bit gutted by that because they felt the wind had gone from the sails. They were so looking forward to, well, they were obviously looking forward to holding on to the win, but they knew that they needed to in order to sort of get that another four-pointer against a, a vital rival um, down there. They play at Everton. Um, and they, it's a weird game because at half-time, United are all in their own. They're having a tough game, Everton, obviously giving as good as they get at Goodison Park. Yeah. But at half-time, um, the scores are read out and um, all United's results are going against them. And Dockett is furious after the game. He's furious that they did that. I mean, it was you know slightly common practice. It wasn't uncommon for scores to be read out at half-time, but I think Dockett just feeling that he needed everything to go in his favour and this yeah. sort of turned against him. The lads, their confidence were on the floor um, and they, they lose the game. And it means it leads to this situation where they, they play Manchester City at home. Um, and it means if they don't win, they're likely to go down. Results against them um, as well. The results need to go for them and they still need to win against Manchester City. Um, it's one of the most infamous Manchester City's, uh, Manchester derbies in history, Paddy. And I think even though with City's recent um, resurgence and, and the takeover and every year you would get, this is the most important Manchester derby of all time. This is the most yeah. important in terms of symbolic. 
and I say this as a Manchester United fan, and we know the technicality of this. Spoiler: Dennis Law scores, Manchester United are relegated. Yeah, we know the reality is Dennis Law's goal didn't relegate Manchester United, but in terms no. of symbolism, it might as well have done because yes, it, 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 it will always be remembered as that. I mean, we we can all picture the uh, Dennis Law's uh, apo uh, apologetic. Look at that. He's being consoled by Mike Summerby after scoring a goal uh, uh, because he looks so distraught. He 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 almost apologises rather than uh, celebrates. And is that fans going... Is that City fans? I mean, we've got a picture up on the screen here. Is that United fans saying, don't worry, Dennis, you're still the king? I think, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but in actual fact, it, that wasn't the goal that... That, that in reality it symbolically sent it was the you know an extra nail in the coffin I suppose um, uh, but there it is said I think by Everton fans that it was actually Mick Lyons in that Everton match who, who scored the goal that sent United down yeah so no it, it, it wasn't Dennis but um, I suppose it's it, it's it's certainly the most uh, enduring one of the most enduring myths in Mancunian football, um, and it's interesting that if Dennis had felt uh, any celebration to celebrate, sorry, any temptation to celebrate inwardly, in 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 in, in the sense of take that Doherty, you know, that'll teach you to free me without telling me first, you know. Um, he certainly uh, hid it out of respect for the support and for out of respect for his own feelings for Manchester United. The goal as well, by the way. Um, United have huffed and puffed. It was a very good finish, wasn't it? It was almost yeah. as if no pressure, you know? Yeah, exactly. Back heel, slips through Stepney's hands. Um, the kind of ingenuity that United fans had cheered for, yeah. for many years. Uh, yeah. The kind of goal that really only Dennis Lowe scored. We talked about the, the brilliance of George Best, but Lowe was equally adept. The way that his, his sort of range of finishing in the box was unlike anybody else's, and you know United found that out to their cost on that occasion. He yeah. um, Immediately from that, he trudged off the pitch. Um, he was going to be substituted, but the um, fans invaded the pitch, as we saw from the images, and they call caused the referee to sort of call an end to the game. So it's basically De Dennis Lowe's last act in um, domestic football. He walked to the United dressing room where Jim McCallioch found him after with his head in his hands. Um, and he famously, obviously, never talked about that goal until we did the film, you know, too good to go down. He um, it was strange, a very surreal moment, because obviously I've grown up with knowing that Dennis Lowe never talked about the goal. Mm -hmm. And then we were just in conversation because I was doing the interviewing for it. And um, we were just in conversation. I just like sort of not prompted it because I didn't want to be, you know, when you when you know historically he's never talked about it. I didn't want yeah, to. Yeah, you, you didn't want to push it, yeah. But, but he, I, I don't even remember what it was that I said to him that prompted him to actually talk about it, but he did. He, he sort of said a few words for it. I, I remember when the film aired, getting like half a dozen phone calls and messages like saying, you got Dennis Lowe to talk about it. I said, no, Dennis, Dennis talks of his own accord, but obviously that was a massive privilege that he did that um, to be trusted, to be able to sort of do it in a faithful way, because obviously telling that story of United going down isn't one that yeah. um, many people would be thrilled with, but um, but obviously he was he was great, great for that. Um, you know, and obviously it was a very, very symbolic moment and try as, people might to paint a different picture or to build a game up it still feels i know wayne rooney's goal in in 2011 the overhead kick which was yes. possibly the best ever manchester derby goal even that i don't think compares to the symbolism of what dennis law did on that day um it was, it was such a seismic moment and then united were relegated to division two um they lost their last three games 1-0. That was the second of them. Obviously, the Goodison Park won the first, um, losing to Stoke on the last, in the last game. Mm. And that made it, um, I think it's eight, eight one nil defeats over the season in the league. Um, 48 yeah. goals conceded in 42 games, which particularly rankles with Alex Stepney because his form had held up. <laughs> he'd, been, he'd been good enough. 
early elimination in both cups to make it a very, very miserable season for Tommy Docker. He expected to be sacked, um, Paddy, but he was yeah. instead presented with a case of champagne by Matt Busby. Um, it's such an odd gesture. Obviously, it's very, very sporting of Matt to do that, and it's very, it's a magnificent show of faith. But it's such an odd gesture, isn't it? A yes, case it, of is <laughs> it is odd. Um, sounds a bit more Louis Edwards than Matt Busby, but anyway, yeah. It, it, if if Matt did that, then that's fine. Um, I wasn't aware of that story, but. Um, I think it was it was a sign that a little bit like what was the year you you you'll be able to tell me straight away nineteen ninety one two was it the, the when United ended up winning the FA Cup ninety nine eighty nine ninety yeah yeah eighty nine ninety that's right when and when Martin Edwards to this day insists that Ferguson's job was not in danger and if Mark Robbins hadn't scored the goal at Nottingham and, and, and if United hadn't survived the, the other tough cup ties and ended up uh, winning even in the final, they needed a replay, uh, winning the cup, that Alex Ferguson's job was not in danger because they could feel the undercurrent of health at the club, you know, particularly in youth development and so on. I think there was a, a similar sense maybe not quite so dramatic, uh, 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 that was reflected in Matt Busby's uh, giving that present to... Because you don't give a case of champagne to a guy, then sack him. So it, it was perhaps that was the intention behind it, to say, listen, we know, you know, the yeah. fans don't want to go down. The club doesn't want to go down. The players don't want to go down, but we know that we're in safe hands. And that will come up. And in fact, the, the you, you know they sometimes say of clubs that are in trouble, what you really need is to go down, go to the second division, rediscover your style, re, reset as the word is now, uh, and come back stronger. Well, for a lot of teams have found out that it's not that easy. But yeah. uh, well, again, no spoilers, but uh, it, uh, my forecast is that our next episode's going to show that Manchester United can handle second division football pretty well. Yeah, you're probably right. It was probably Busby via Louis Edwards. That case of champagne was delivered because um, it was the Edwards style, and um, they would have definitely had that conversation. Um, but Busby, yeah, maybe Louis, maybe Louis had to write out the check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, which. Considering the way that Docky um, would in later episodes, as we'll come to discuss, <laughs> complain about the check writing skills of Busby and <laughs> um, perhaps he would have given that case of champagne, Mike, if we'd have known. Um, well, let's go on to the squad stats for this very, very dismal season. I'll uh, put Brian Greenough up first of all, but I'll go through the goalkeepers. Alex Stetney was the only goalkeeper this season, 45. 45 games and two goals, which is going to be a very strange thing for a goalkeeper. Um, 42 yeah. league games and two goals. Not a bad return for a keeper. Mm. <laughs> no, no, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Um, didn't end the season as top scorer. We'll get to that in a, in a little while. The defenders, Martin Buchan was ever present with 45 games. And no, no goals for him this season. Brian Greenoff, um, nominally a defender but also a midfielder as well. He played mostly in midfield this season, but because he's on the screen, I'll talk about him. He scored three goals in his first season, 36 games. Um, he played in the league, and all of those goals came in, in the league as well. He was a young player from Barnsley, like I said. Tommy Dockett, he had wanted to get him when he was at Rotherham. I think the first thing he said, he was one of the first players that he approached when he arrived at United and said, I wanted to get you, and I finally got you now. Um, yep. He gave Brian his debut. Brian was a ball-playing defensive midfielder. He had very good positional intelligence. He was a very fine reader of the game. And he was the brightest, his form was the brightest spot in this season as he would be awarded the club's player of the season award. Um, Jim Holton, very popular as well. He scored two goals in 37 games, um, 34 appearances in the league. Alex Forsyth, we mentioned in the previous episode, he made 21 appearances, nine 20 of those, or 19 of those, sorry, in the league, and he scored a single goal. 
I think he did. No, he did not. I can't find it. Oh, he did. He scored in the game against Burnley in, right. in the last stage of the season. Brings us on to, there was a, actually a few defenders given bows this season. Clive Griffiths. And you'll notice when we do the player picks, um, we do try where possible to get um, a picture of Clive, uh, well, a picture of that player when they were at United, preferably from the season in which we're referencing. Clive Griffiths is impossible to find a picture of him. You know, this is from his NASL games. He made yeah. just seven appearances for the club, um, and they were all um, this season. He, he was a centre back. He could play in various central, uh, various defensive mm. positions, but he played as a centre back for United, um, a Welsh lad. And these were his only appearances for the club. He remained with the club after this season, though, for another couple of years. I think nineteen seventy six, signed by Chicago Sting, who were managed by Bill Folks. And I, I mentioned Clive only because that's him only. And going on a little bit too much about a player who played only seven times for United, did want to pay tribute to the fact that he beat um, cancer twice. The first time was actually in the 1980s, and he he remarkably played while receiving chemotherapy, um, which shows you a lot about his um, yeah. And the other defenders, you mentioned David Sadler. He, he made only three appearances in the league this season before he left. So those were his final three appearances for the club. Two of those were starts and one as a sub-appearance. On his side bottom, we mentioned in a previous episode, just mm. two appearances this season. Tony Young, we mentioned his goal against Chelsea. Um, he mm. made 32 appearances and scored that single goal. 29 of those were in the league. Steve James, we've mentioned him. He was a regular defender this season. Two goals in 23 games, 21 of those in the league. And it brings us to the last defender on this list, which is Stuart Houston. He was signed in the early reaches of this season. Um, he would be a future Scottish international um, captain in the future. Um, and strangely enough, he only received one cap. And um, it sort of ties into this feeling that Stuart Houston is very, very undervalued or very yeah. undervalued appreciated because he was known to Doherty from Chelsea before he went to Brentford, which is where United mm -hmm. signed him from. United acquired yes. him for only 55,000. He'd gone to play, look at the yeah. number of games he played for United. Um, tell me a little bit about Stuart Houston. I mean, resolute, yeah. consistent, rarely beaten, yeah. definitely credit. Good tackler. And in fact, <clears throat> you know, we've, we've not really talked about the defence. We've talked about the, the, the attack, finding it hard to score goals. Um, but the fact that United conceded only just over one goal per match in a relegation season mm. says a lot for the defence. And uh, Stuart Houston, who I think would have been, most of his appearances would have been at left back. Yeah. Uh, Holton and Buchan, and, 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 and if not James and Buchan, were, were, particularly though Holton and Buchan, were a very good centre-back partnership. Right back would be either for Scythen or um, Tony Young, maybe. Yeah, Young in the team. And uh, with Houston at left back, that's definitely not a, what would now be called a championship back four. That's a that's a premier back four. So I think it could have been even worse that this seventy three four season yeah. had United not had. Well, you, you've also mentioned that Stepney had a good season. Um, so the defence, actually, without, you know, a reasonably solid defence, United would have probably been relegated by Easter. <laughs> so um, it was, uh, you, you know, yes, there, there were bright sparks. And, and you know, with, with, with a back four like that, um, especially with the age range of them, I mean, Buckingham's still fairly young, still plenty yeah. of years in him. Uh, ditto Holton, um, ditto Houston, I would say. What, what would Houston have How old would he have been at this at 28? By he this would have been, um, let's just get this up. Yeah. Uh, 20, 24. 24. 24 oh, ah, right, right. So he's got loads. And, and Alex Forsyth, you know. So whether Alex Forsyth, you know, hits the heights is another matter. But, you know, there's, there's, there's hope there that there's the basis of a, of a sound defence for for what's going to be a uh, a second tier campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, move on to the midfield. George Best, two goals in those twelve games, all of them in the league before he departed. George Graham, obviously captain of the side, um, but 
captain to be dethroned from his captaincy. 26 league appearance, uh, 26 appearances in all competitions, 24 of those in the league, as you can see, growing out of favour favor already, um, a single goal in the league. Mick Martin, who obviously made his bow in the previous season, 18 appearances in all competitions, 16 of those in the league. Sammy McElroy, who ends joint top scorer this season, six goals in 31 games in all competitions, 29 of those in the league, and all, all of his goals came in the league as well. Trevor Anderson, who we mentioned in the previous episode, um, or in previous episodes, he made 12 appearances and scored a single goal in the league. Um, brings us on to the other midfielders, um, Paul Bielbe, um, Darlington born forward midfielder, left sided midfielder. Um, he was one of the young forwards given a chance with United in when they were needing goals at the end of the season. And Docky was ringing the changes, trying to get them. Um, yeah. He made only these four appearances for the club. Sorry, it looks a little bit miss, missed on the screen. Paul Bielbe, forward, that's what he's meant to say there. Four appearances, no goals. Um, he, he would have a decent career with Hartlepool and Huddersfield, and he actually, in later life, received an MBE for services to youth football. I think he still runs the... If he's retired, the academy still exists with his name in there, so he still runs that in the northeast. Um, mm -hmm. So um, definitely a, a player who um, has some distinction who left Manchester United, if mm -hmm. not with distinction while he was at Manchester United. Um, Jerry Daler, as, as we mentioned, not only a favourite of Paddy, a favourite on the Old Trafford Terrace, they instantly loved his style. He scored in this season just a single goal in 17 uh, appearances in all competitions, 16 of those in the league. And um, brings us to Jim McCalliog, who we mentioned earlier on. Jim um, from Wolves United signed. Um, he was a Scottish international, famously scored at Wembley, right, Paddy? In, was that the one which dethroned England as world champion? Yes, yes, it was when we became world champions, 1967. Uh, <laughs> one year after England had, uh, had beaten Germany in the, in the World Cup final. Yes, he was one of the heroes of that day, and, and as you rightly say, scored a goal. Yeah, um, and he was... Very influential in United's upturn in form, um, brought a lot of confidence in, in the players and made them believe that they could play a little bit yeah. better footballer. Not, not exactly Jimmy Green or for Eric Cantona in terms of catalyst, but a little catalyst nonetheless. And, yeah. Um, yeah. A very, very nice man as well, Jim McCallion. He's a very nice yes. man. Um, yeah, he had bags of experience and United needed that and he was gonna, that was going to be crucial for United in the second tier. For sure, their attacking options are very, very, very sparse. Lou Macari scored six goals in 38 games, five in 35 in the league. Brian Kidd, who scored those two goals against West Ham, they were the only goals he scored all season. 24 league appear uh, 24 appearances, 21 in the league. And he would have enough of um, trying to impress at United and he would finally be granted his exit this time round. Um, as you mentioned, only Alex Stenny from the European Cup side would remain. Uh, Willie Morgan, two goals in 44 appearances in all competitions, 41 in the league. Yeah. Story more. You, we already mentioned his injury problems, which were starting to uh, cripple yes. his career. He made only two appearances this season and scored a single goal. Peter Fletcher, we mentioned in the previous episode, who had um, made um, just five appearances this season, none of them um, resulting in a goal, all of them in the league. And that brings us on to the last player for this list, and his name is George Buchan, brother of Martin Buchan, also of Aberdeen history, but you're aware the similarities end. He yeah. was fair-haired and a forward, and he's also got a big beaming smile. I'm not saying Martin Buchan doesn't smile. He's a very joyous guy. <laughs> you would see pictures of him looking decidedly more serious than what George is looking on, on this picture. Um, yeah. And not as ever-present as Martin, that's for sure. He made only four substitute appearances for the United first team. He didn't make much of an impression. Um, he actually ended up playing semi-professional while working as a school teacher in Oldham. Um, so he remained in the Northwest near his brother. Um, but yeah, he was one of a number of these players uh, who were tried. A few of them managing to register goals. United struggling a lot with the um, weight of expectation that came on a lot of these young players like a Jerry Daly, like a Sammy McElroy, like Lou McCarry, like Brian Kidd really was being tasked with 
the task that George Best didn't want. He had to lead this United side and just couldn't do it. The um, side, I don't have a graphic for this, but the 4-2-4 or 4-4-2 United played this season would read Stepney in goal, Forsyth or most likely Tony Young at right back. You mentioned um, Buck and Holland, Houston in, in um, the defence to round off that four. The midfield would usually read something like Morgan, Graham, Greenoff, McElroy. If not McElroy, then Daly, as uh, McElroy was beginning to find his fitness. And the front mm-hmm. two, <laughs> Macari and Kidd, um, although it wasn't really a, a team, well, a team throughout the 11 that really struck any kind of physical uh, prowess, apart from Holton and Houston, who were finally beginning to add a little bit of steel at the back there. I mean, mm-hmm. colours hadn't changed this season. Um, they were red, white, and black in the home colours. The away strip was all white. And the third kit was that beautiful, beautiful yellow shirt, which if we just pop it back up for Brian Singh, that's the shirt there, that yellow shirt that United certainly did not play like Brazil in this season. <laughs> that's for sure they did not. Um, the average attendance was 41,251, which was down 5,000. The top goal scorers, we just, you would have heard it there, six goals, McElroy and Macari sharing that, finished 21st in the league. So... Even though the league extended the um, relegation spots, they would have still gone down because they went down in the second relegation spot, not the last one. And the key results this season were the Birmingham defeat, the freak defeat, where they were where the goal flew in off um, the clearance, and then obviously the Manchester City result because you can't get away from that. It was a very very symbolic uh, result. Elsewhere in football, Paddy, well, a lot of managerial shakeup in the postseason for this. Leeds win the league, Liverpool win their only only their second FA Cup, and Wolves win the League Cup. But it's off the pitch where everything's moving because Alf Ramsey gets sacked midway through the season, and that prompts the end of the Don Revy era at Leeds because he becomes England manager, which prompts the end of the Brian Clough era at Derby because he, he steps into the breach at Leeds without Peter Taylor demonstrating the value of a good assistant and how difficult yeah. it is to take a job with such a determined structure as Leeds had with Riva. And Bill Shankly retired. Um, did it feel at that time like it was one of the biggest shifts in, in recent football history for all this change to be happening? Yes. Um, because, I mean, after all, these people all changed the history of their clubs. Um, or, or, or in Alf's case, their countries. Um, you know, Shankly was the made Liverpool more successful than ever before. Ditto Revi at, at Leeds. You know, so yes, there, there was a feeling that, uh, that 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 would we would we ever see the like again, and 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 I wonder if. If we do, if 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 people would be given the time at their clubs, I, I mean, I have to stress that they turn things around pretty quickly. I mean, more quickly than Ferguson did at United, but um, they, you know, I wonder if 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 such men exist, such creatures. I, I wonder if the managers are able to wield such power at the at 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 Premier League club as as these guys did in remoulding uh, Leeds, Liverpool, and of course, before that, Busby at Manchester United. Yeah. If you've obviously it's been a difficult time, if you've been watching this podcast and you've seen the decline of Manchester United, don't worry too much because we've just seen Shankly retired. He's been succeeded by an assistant, Bob Paisley, and announced transition. We know how badly they go. So, obviously, in the next few episodes, we'll be talking about the obvious decline of Liverpool into the second division while United flourish. I'm sure that will be the case. Um, but that's it for this episode. United relegated to the second division. They definitely were not too good to go down. We will be back next time to discuss their um, trip in the second division. Um, if you've enjoyed watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe, listen, um, give us a review on the platform you're listening on as well. We really appreciate that. Um, we will be back next time to talk about United in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around 
to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.